0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all or situations.
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of the NBA podcast. We have a great episode for you today. We're going to go deep into the Jimmy Butler trade and figure out what the hell Chicago was thinking. We're also going to recap the 2017 NBA draft, talk a little bit about the D'Angelo Russell and Dwight Howard trades, and hopefully wrap things up with a little primer on free agency. Before we get all that, just wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio you can find all of our Twitter handles to so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so follow us there, subscribe, download, leave some reviews, we'd love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on Fanrag Sports. So check them out on Twitter at Fanrag Sports and for their NBA content at Fanrag NBA. Though the draft is over, we still have a lot of great draft coverage, uh, how prospects fit with their teams. We already have a 2018 mock draft coming out. And then free agency is only a week away. So we're gonna have a lot of good stuff over the coming weeks.
0: Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.
1: ...involving that as well. So again, FanRagSports, at FanRagSports on Twitter. Joining me, as always, this week is my trusty co-host, Morton Jensen. Mort, how's it going? It's going well, Brian, because... My
2: apologies. Uh, We are being joined by by two people who I have had uh, internet relationships with. That sounded way more creepier than I intended for
1: (laughs) about 13, 14, 14 years, I think. That's, yeah, we we have. So our normal third co-host, Sarah Chalea, could not join us today. She had to work. So instead, we have two special guests this week. Uh, One, Mark Deeks. Uh, you may know him as the proprietor of Sham Sports, also does some great work uh, overseas, loves the NBA. So, Mark, how's it going? Thanks for joining us.
3: Morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having that. Morton, I didn't think we were going to talk about our long distance internet relationship, but uh, there we go. Now, now everyone knows. Um, and can I have my ice cream maker back, please? <laughs>
1: We will settle the divorce after this podcast. Uh, Mark, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can follow your work?
3: Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, MarkDeeksNBA on Twitter, which is the primary place to find what I do. I have a website that's covered in dust that we have, are planning to relaunch, but have been since about 2009. My um, work for Give Me Sport UK, the U- uh, sorry, Give Me Sport NBA, the NBA's official UK media partner. And, uh, yeah, but mostly head to the Twitter and you can see it's the side of my face.
1: Nice. Good. Yeah, definitely check Deeks out. There are a few people on the Internet who are more knowledgeable about, about the NBA and especially about the salary cap. So give him a follow. Our other guest joining us this week, another Mark, Mark Karen Uh Mark, welcome. Thanks for joining us.
4: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate that.
1: Yeah, uh so again, where can our listeners find you on Twitter and where can they find your work?
4: Yeah, they, they can find me at Mark K MBA. Not much work to to uh to plug at the moment. It's been a bit quiet on my end, but that's fine. But uh yeah, you can get me at Mark K MBA for my, all my Twitter ramblings on, on the Chicago Bulls.
1: Perfect. Yeah. And so let's dive right into the Chicago Bulls. Uh <laughs> Mort and Mark, I just have to start things off by apologizing because, you know, it's been Jimmy Butler has been mentioned in trade rumors, frankly, for years. You know, at the draft last June, it seemed like something was about to happen. At the trade deadline, it seemed like something was about to happen. This week, Monday, we got rumors that the Minnesota Timberwolves were in on him. And you figure, oh, it's just, you know, much ado about nothing again. Uh, within minutes of the draft starting, Markel Foltz is like on the stage Thursday night. And then ESPN's Mark Stein breaks the news that they are close to consummating a deal with the Timberwolves. Casey Johnson of the Chicago Tribune followed up a few minutes later uh, and confirmed that the deal was in place. So, <laughs> the Bulls uh, gave up Jimmy Butler and their number 16 overall pick to Minnesota in exchange for Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and the number seven pick. So, Mark, I'm gonna Mark K. I'm gonna start with you and just ask: Was that enough? Was that the ex the return you were hoping or expecting for Jimmy Butler?
4: Uh, for me personally, it wasn't enough. Uh, particularly when you think about this deal, the parameters of this this deal, and, and you sort of cast your mind back twelve months, and it's essentially it's essentially the same deal that was on the table twelve months ago. Then the only real difference, I guess, is the, the pick swap. But um, for me, it's not enough. I was I was firmly on on board with cha- uh, trading Jimmy if it made sense, and to me, making sense. Uh, meant getting hopefully a top five pick in this draft maybe a future pick next season and a young prospect of sorts that would have been my ideal trade package I don't think the Bulls got anywhere close to that so I'm a bit disappointed with the haul uh, particularly when you think about the year Chris Dunn had in his rookie season the fact that he's a 23 year old and Zach Levine's re- re- recovering from an ACL injury which as a Bulls fan has to be very, uh, very tentative <laughs> but um yeah, I, personally I don't think the Bulls got anywhere near enough that, that everyone's reporting that that was the best offer on on the table, but if that's the best offer, don't don't make the deal.
1: Right, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, no general manager is going to come out except for Vlade who was after the DeMarcus deal, he did <laughs> say he had better offers, I guess. But no other general manager is ever going to come out and say, "Well, we had better offers, but we decided to wait and then they went down." So, of course, the Bulls are going to sell it that way. Deeks, I know you are also underwhelmed by the return they got. Uh, Could you explain, like, why did they include the 16 pick? That's what is boggling. You know, I'm already underwhelmed by Dunn, Levine, and number seven for Butler, as is. But then when they included 16, it was just, it was so bold. So what do you think, why were they, why did they agree to that?
3: I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a, an answer that I don't believe. I don't know, really. I don't know. How they consider themselves to have sufficiently little leverage that they had to do that. Um, I was like, uh, like my name's Mark Kay, uh, no, nothing against the Butler trade in principle, but against that one. Don't worry too much about Chris Dunn's rookie year. Yeah, it was poor, but he's still relative young. It's one year, it's point guard, it's fine. Uh, he's still a legitimate prospect. He doesn't have to be a star prospect to be a legitimate one. Uh, in terms of getting uh, the haul that they got, Mark said about wanting a uh, young prospect in return, well, Zach Levine is a pretty good one in that respect. That, as the foundation of a deal, isn't the worst. But the inclusion of the 16, it just doesn't make sense. Where did they have the leverage to do that? <laughs> if, if you consider that Butler was the first... Big piece to fall, not in, not counting Dwight anymore. That's gone. If he's the big piece to fall on the trade market for all the teams who want that third star, he was the first one to go. Why is he gone comparatively cheaply? You can understand if Paul George goes comparatively cheaply now in light of the fact that he's clearly said he's going in free agency. So he, if he is the second domino, then that's going to be a bit lower. That'll be reflecting his trade value. But that wasn't the case with Butler. Yeah, he's a bit disgruntled in Chicago, but he's supposed to be. Things aren't going very well. So why? If they had potentially all of the suitors, all of the teams out there that are looking for that third player, even that second player, which he is, he's a top... Do you know what? I love the fact that people seem to call Jimmy Butler a top 12 player in the league these days. What you're basically saying is he's 12th. Anyway, he's really <laughs> good. Um, if That then gives them leverage. His free agency is coming up, but it's not coming up too quickly. Um, he will be eligible extension. The rules are slightly more flexible now. He's still young, he's still improving, he just put up a career year. He's a two-way player and how many legitimate two-way star players are there these days? I don't get it. I get the trade in him. I get finally taking a direction. I get wanting a decent young prospect Zach Levine who could be a 20 points per game scorer if we ignore efficiency. I get the value in the number 7 pick. But Brian, to your question of why do they include the 16th, I have no idea. I just don't think they value picks that much which doesn't seem to be easy to reconcile with the idea that they're now rebuilding. We should remember, sorry gentlemen, I know you're Bulls fans. I used to be, I gave it up three years ago, timed it well. I know you're Bulls fans, <laughs> so this would be tough to hear. But remember, they traded both Gary Harris and Yusef Nurkic mm-hmm. for Doug McDermott. All right? Now both of those players are way better than Doug McDermott. But even notwithstanding that fact, even if we pretended they were neutrals, That's how little they valued those mid-first round picks. Second round picks, as we know, they have no time for whatsoever, unless, of course, they end up making them, in which case, oh, we were surprised that guy fell that far. They just don't have this value (laughs) on picks that they should do. You can't rebuild without valuing picks. They valued the 7 enough to want it, but they valued the 16 sufficiently little to throw it in. It's a nine-pick difference in a five-player draft. It's not that Big of a difference between seventeen and six. So if you're willing to give away the sixteen, you're not assigning that much value to the seven. I don't know. I really don't know why they did that. And it it changed the deal. Done Levine and seven for Butler is one thing you can live with that, but including the sixteen as well, a, a swap of nine places. Why?
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, to the point about Levine. You know, he's he is off the ACL tear, but he did come off. You know, a uh, career year this year. Um, he averaged almost 19 points per game as a third option. So, you know, assuming he comes back from the ACL, which, you know, it's not the career ender, the career changer that it was even five, 10 years ago, he could be the foundation of the new bulls. Um, you know, as you said, you know, Chris Dunn was very underwhelming as a rookie shot like 38% from the floor, had a PR of eight, uh, that said, a, he's already probably the best point guard on the Bulls roster because you have to assume Rondo is going to get bought out, uh, <laughs> which speaks more to the Bulls' point guard depth than anything else. Um, but, you know, he, he did show some defensive chops there, so maybe he covers for Levine in that regard. Um, I guess the big concern with Levine is that he'll be a restricted free agent next summer, so you're already, you know, you're, you're probably going to end up paying him you you basically have to pay whatever he wants you're probably going to end up maxing him um so you, you just have to hope he comes back healthy more uh first of all i'm sorry i'm just i'm very sorry because this is frankly karma because you've been trolling sarah for the last like three episodes about manu <laughs> retiring and then yeah, and now the bulls piss away jimmy butler for five cents on the dollar um yeah but
2: it's it's actually my fault this happened so like every bulls fan in the world should just go
1: after me right yeah Yeah. so i mean we did a thing a round table at b-ball breakdown today about the trade you like the two marks are not a huge fan go into you know what what is bothering you most about this deal
2: well i mean what again like the two marks i agree with the fact that jimmy butler being traded is is sort of like picking a side and it's I, I get it. It's fair that they move on from Butler and start something new. It's the return that I'm I'm bothered by. Like they they use Jimmy as this foundation of okay, we're moving him and now we're starting like a rebuilding process. But oh well, you know what? We don't value draft picks. Oh, we're gonna ship off number 38 for cash. How is that starting like a rebuilding process in the in a proper manner? It, it's not and. Like Deeks alluded to, like if you don't value draft picks and you're going into a re- rebuilding process, and I even believe that John Paxson said that they would, you know, build through the draft, like then their actions doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, financially speaking, I'm not really that intrigued by by the Zach Levine thing as well because he's coming up for an extension pretty soon, uh, and he's and because the cap has spiked, his deal is I I believe more expensive than what jimmy's is right now so he's actually going to cost more than jimmy would have two years from now that's that's kind of bothersome and i would not have made the deal generally speaking like if if i'm there with jimmy the biggest trade asset on my roster by far a top 10 player top 10 top 12 whatever and i'm getting those kind of offers i'm just i'm not doing it and one thing that we've all seemed to like ignore is the fact that the Bulls should have done a better job building around Butler. Like mm-hmm. last year, that was their shot. And they spent their money on Rondo and Wade, which most certainly is not the way to build around Butler. So it's. And then they. they I feel as though they kind of use that as momentum to, like, oh, justify a, a Jimmy Trait. Well, you got fucked up before. <laughs> like, you should have just done it right. You should have built around him right beforehand. Like, yeah. No, it's. It's. It, it's really it's concerning if you're a bulls fan as well like just going forward these deals seem to be a theme Mm -hmm. and whenever they get fleeced they even add
1: in a draft pick (laughs) right
2: it's it's just not it's just not good management
1: yeah it's very similar i mean when they gave up 16 it felt so similar to the Taj gibson deal at the trade deadline where they where they were the ones who threw it a second round pick for no reason like you would expect okay oh well they got their point guard of the future right? <laughs>
2: cameron payne remember right. this is the third point guard of the future within a year
1: yeah oh because michael carter williams being the first no jerry and grant oh right oh god <laughs> they were high they were high on Grant. Oh. like mark k i remember you and i we
2: we wrote together at, at bulls confidential and i remember a lot of the conversation was censored route jerry and grant
1: oh my god Bulls fans, yeah, you are I mean, always welcome to be Sixers fans. Yeah, I
2: like
4: I'm Jerry, considering but... that. I'm, I'm considering that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's turn to the Minnesota side of things for a second. Uh, you, you know, you guys as Bulls fans have seen Jimmy more than the average NBA fan. You know, Deeks, you call him a top twelve player. More, you've been saying top ten. That you know, the point is, he is. You know, if he's not the surefire superstar like franchise changing player like a lebron james or kevin durant he is one step below you know he is an excellent multi-time all-star so mark k how do you see him fitting next to wiggins rubio and towns in particular in minnesota
4: well i mean it's interesting uh, because we're assuming here that rubio stays and Mm -hmm. i'm not necessarily sure if that's going to be the case and uh rubio was available at the trade deadline I think there was reports yesterday of deals for Rubio getting done. So um, I don't know if Rubio is going to be in the picture, but if he is, and depending what Tibbs does at power forward, their spacing is going to be a problem. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how it works out. But I think I think more for, more so for Wiggins, Jim, Jimmy Butler is exactly the type of player you probably want to put next to uh, Andrew Wiggins in the sense of a guy you want to be a mentor for him. Mm-hmm. So you, when, you, when you watch Wiggins play, he's... Uh, He he can clearly score the ball. He's shown a lot from a scoring potential. I did not expect that from him. Uh, And I was expecting more defensively, but uh, he's been quite poor defensively in my opinion. But with Tibbs there and then now Butler, I guess carrying Tibbs' message onto the court as a player, I think it's going to be perfect for Andrew Wiggins. And yesterday I was just thinking about this trade and I was just fantasizing about uh, Jimmy Butler and, and Carl Towns in the pick and roll and mm. how Jimmy Butler's going to be able to play with a, a legit, legitimate stretch big now and I think that'll be absolutely fantastic for his game as well as as well as Towns's. Yeah. So I think the fit's going to be really good and, and depending what they do at point guard if they can maybe move on from Rubio and find a, a shooter at point guard or or maybe instead of playing Jang and Towns starting those guys maybe finding a stretch four I think that will be a really good a really good fit for Minnesota and I don't see why they can't head towards the playoffs now
1: right yeah i mean i I think they have around 20 million to spend in free agency this summer so this deal did not restrict what they can do on that front you know there are reports that patrick beverly is being shopped from houston he could be a really interesting fit there if uh if rubio does get moved you know uh (laughs) beverly butler wiggins towns good luck scoring against that team uh so yeah gibson yeah (laughs) gibson right yeah uh, I've been I've been running that one for a year now. I know. Yeah, Mark, I am glad you brought up the mentorship, especially because I think that's where I'm most intrigued by this possibility. Because Wiggins, when he came into the league, I, it, it seemed like defense was going to be his calling card, and he hasn't really hit that potential yet. But like, who better to learn from aside from like Kawhi Leonard or you know or Draymond Green than a Jimmy Butler? And J- Jimmy Butler could turn Wiggins... like Wiggins has the physical tools to be a first-team all-defense player. He just hasn't figured that out yet, but now he's going to have Butler in his ear teaching him the ropes, like teaching him how to how to have that mindset, what to look for, how to shut people down. It, I, it's, that is going to be a terrifying force on that end. Dex I want to ask you, though, because, you know, Mark K mentioned Rubio is not a great shooter. Wiggins is also not a great shooter. Butler... He hit a career high number of threes this past year, but you know I, he's not Stephen Curry or Klay Thompson or anything like that. So I think it's fair to say shooting is the big concern about this um, this new Minnesota core moving forward. How do you see them rectifying it, or are you that worried about it?
3: Well, I don't think that Butler and Wiggins are a particularly good pairing. That's not a reflection on the deal. The value was so good, you got to take it, and of course. Tibbs loves Butler why wouldn't he um, I think a key way to rectify it would be to stop giving them both 37 minutes a game every night like he's going to do maybe work some shooters in off the bench uh, notwithstanding that I agree with uh, with Mark Kay that Rubio is not going to be the ideal fit so he's a quality player who deserves a quality price but alongside a Butler and Wiggins pairing his the nature of his game is not is not, uh, is not particularly well-fitting defensively like you say Wiggins has been disappointing he can do it he does sometimes do it but he often does not do it He is increasingly lazy on defense especially last year he's also not rebounding he's not doing the things he should be doing instead he's trying to become the world's greatest mid-range shooter which he shouldn't be doing (laughs) so it's not that it's not the best pairing for now doesn't matter of course do what you got to do they got tremendous value Um, with regards to the stretching Carl Anthony Towns and his completely flat footed jump shot is actually proving to be quite good in that area, Jeng can shoot a little bit so they're not going to be a good shooting team but it's not going to hold them back necessarily, the key becomes now how good can they be defensively it should be good, then again it should have been a lot better than it was last year based on potential Uh, Towns good defensive player, Jeng reasonable ish, Butler and Wiggins should be a great wing pairing And Rubio, although he can be beaten off the dribble, has good hands and can impart good ball pressure at the guard spot. That should be a decent defensive five. And if anyone needs changing out of it, I'd argue it should be Jeng. But he's a good player, let's be fair to him. That should be the foundation, and Lord knows Tib should be the deliverer of, a defensive unit that propels them into the 50-win range. Don't know if it will. I rather regrettably thought much the same of last year. didn't work out. But it could be, especially on the wings there. Um, that said, it's not an ideal fit, particularly offensively. And I think the main means of fixing that is, is again, regrettably, a little bit more flexibility from Tibbs. Because Wiggins is taking about 700 mid-range jumpers a year. I know he lacks a three-point range right now, but that doesn't mean take a two. That means, you know, find something else, find other options. They need a more... Uh, they need more shooters on the roster. Certainly, you can't rely on your man but they also need to stop running these possessions with that result in the mid-range jump shots. And we have to, knowing you know, we've all got Bulls history here. We we have to accept that Tibbs is partly that because he did the same in Chicago. It's ultimately kind of what got him fired. So, what they now have is the majority of the pieces of the puzzle to get themselves relevant. Obviously, their current team. Unless Towns just keeps on going and going and going, which he might. Their current team is not championship potential anytime soon. But they are quite a few steps up the ladder now with the Towns and Butler pairing and some good players around them. So, now, Tibbs has to make that work. He has to temper the minutes. There's no point running players off the floor. They're going to wind up like Deng. He has to be able to diversify that offense, increase the spacing. He can do that with the personnel he's got. Some added personnel elsewhere, less post players, more shooters, that can be done. But the pieces are there, especially defensively, and now Tibbs has to mold it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no question. As you said, you know, it's not the perfect fit, but if you're only giving up what they gave up, it's a no-brainer, right? You, you give up those pieces and figure it out later. So, Mort, I want to ask you, you know, you had, the, <laughs> you had the Timberwolves as a playoff team last year, which proved a little premature, do you think they're, you know, they're facing a lot of competition in the West, obviously. But do you think they are a playoff team next year? Yeah, I
2: even went as far as saying I, I I think they are a second round team. Mm-hmm. I, I think they could get that far, mostly because Jimmy I believe will propel them that far, especially combined with the fact that Karlin's Sounds is going to get better, Andrew Wiggins is going to get better. Tibbs will now have a whole year of data under him with the Timberwolves, so I think he's more inclined to improve as a coach as well because he knows his guys a little bit better, and also because I do believe that Taj Gibson will sign there, mm. uh, giving Tibbs some sort of known commodity uh, on the floor, and and Taj is an excellent defender that only adds to the defensive potential. Uh, I could be wrong, and he could go somewhere else, but right now I'm just I'm not seeing like a better partner out there. Um, so I believe the, the Wolves will be in the playoffs. And like Mark said, not championship contenders, obviously, uh, but definitely an improved squad that should make a lot of noise. Uh, here's my hot take, Brian. I know you love hot takes. I sure do. Uh, I, I believe that if this team comes off you know, hot in the early part of the season and it's due to Jimmy, I think he can carry it to the extent that he throws himself into the MVP debate. Mm.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I mean,
2: I think this team is just perfect for him, especially like Mark K alluded to with the pick and roll with with Towns, you know, the pick and pop options as well. I I think this just opens up Jimmy tremendously.
1: Yeah, I mean, on the playoff note, if Jimmy Butler got last year's Bulls to the playoffs, you know, he he didn't have a single teammate nearly as talented as Andrew Wiggins, much less Carl Anthony Towns. So, yes, the West is very tough uh, and only got more challenging last night but you know the clippers depending on what happens in free agency could fall apart memphis one injury away from falling apart dallas is going to be more frisky next year denver who knows they you know they have a bunch of question marks so like minnesota is in that range where they could at least be like the frisky 6 seed that you don't want to face in the first round and if they get the right matchup yeah second round team doesn't seem totally out of the question we'll obviously see what happens in free agency um So let's now seg into the NBA draft itself. Uh, And we can, you know, I want to basically go through. We don't need to hit every single pick. So let's just do the big winners and losers of the draft. Obviously, the four of us agree Chicago is probably the biggest loser of the night, Uh, not only because of the Jimmy trade, uh, but they, you know, they take um, Jordan Bell at 38, a guy who a lot of people like, a lot of people thought was a first rounder sell him to the Golden State Warriors for $3.5 million, which marks the second straight year that a team needlessly sold a productive player to the Golden State Warriors, the first being Pat McCaw from the Milwaukee Bucks last year. I want to instead focus more on Lowry Markinen, who the Bulls took at 7. So the first six picks went pretty chalk, as most mock drafts had. Fultz to the Sixers, Lonzo Balls to the Lakers, Jason Tatum to the Celtics, Josh Jackson to the Suns, De'Aaron Fox to the Kings, Jonathan Isaac to the Magic. So seven was always, you know, even when the Timberwolves had the pick, that was kind of seen as the point where things could get wild. Um, Mark K., what do you think of Lowry uh, as the number seven pick? Were you a fan of that one, or would you have liked to see them take someone else?
4: Yeah, look, um, keeping with the theme of me being disgruntled, I wasn't happy with the pick, <laughs> yeah. Um Look, Markkinen, I guess was was slotted to go in that range, so he was he was going to go anywhere between seven and ten. Let's call it that. So I don't think it's a reach at all necessarily. But personally, if I had the seventh pick, I wouldn't be picking Markkinen at that point. I would I would have taken Dennis Smith, and I think mm-hmm. I think Dallas are a huge winner because of that. I think he's probably got the most upside of the guys taken in that say seven to twelve range. So, and if you think about where the Bulls are at, they really needed to hit. On the at least in my opinion, the best player available as as well as the guy that had the best ceiling, and in this case, I think that was Dennis Smith. And they didn't do it. They took they took Markkinen. I think Markinon can definitely be a good pro. He's obviously an, an incredible shooter, and I, I would assume that translates from college to the NBA. But again, I'm a tentative Bulls fan because I was promised a lot of thing about a lot lots of things about Nicole Mirotic's <laughs> shooting, and and even Doug McDermott sort of fell off on his shooting last year, so. If he's going to be a role-playing jump shooter, I think he will probably still be a good shooter. He should be fine. But uh, look, I would have taken Dennis Smith, so I'm not too, not too uh, fond of this market and pick, particularly as well that the Bulls are going to be a rebuilding team. Who knows what's going to happen with Dwayne Wade? How long he's going to be with the team, and even if he is with the team, how engaged he's going to be, and and Rajon Rondo as well. And the reason I bring up those two guys is they're really the only two that can really create anything off the bounce. Mm-hmm. Um and for a guy like Markinen who's going to be a rookie big that's probably gonna be put in a lot of pick and rolls, gonna be out there to stretch the floor, he's gonna be needing someone to create some shots for him, particularly initially. So if, if Wade doesn't last the season and he's bought out and if Rondo is bought out now or, or he doesn't come back, then um I'm I'm, I'm really concerned with how his development is going to go, particularly if the Bulls pretty much give uh the entire point guard minutes to Chris Dunn, Jerry and Grant, and Cam Payne, who are not playmakers at all, I think the uh, the effect of that will be someone like Mark and will suffer. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bulls develop him from, from here on out. I, compl- I can complain about the pick as much as I want, but uh, the main thing now is development, and that's where my concern lies at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a reasonable concern. You could always bring back Michael Carter-Williams. I hear he's a former rookie of the year, so he's pretty good, right?
4: Um, yeah supposedly.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's fair. you know, I'm with you in thinking Dennis Smith Jr. at seven would have been the best prospect available on the board at that point, but you know you figure the Bulls probably they didn't just trade for Chris Dunn to take another point guard. so it's a it's a yeah exactly. place where BPA versus fit came into the equation and I guess for that reason, you know I would have at least understood the pick a little bit more if they weren't going to bring back Miritich. But then afterward, they said they're going to try to re-sign him, too. So if they re-sign him, I uh, I just don't even remotely understand the pick. If they don't, uh, you know, I guess it's like the heir apparent to Miritich, and he's cheaper, he's on a rookie deal for four years, at least he fills a role. So, oh, Bulls. Uh, Deeks, can you explain just why do teams sell second-round picks? And why, especially, why do they do it to the Warriors?
3: Well, they generally don't anymore. If it makes you feel better, they can immediately take that 3.5 million they got for Jordan Bell and give 3 million of it to buy out Rondo. So there you go. That might make you feel a little bit warmer about it. all. Oh, nice to know the money's going somewhere useful. Um, I'm all right with um, with marketing. Um I'm also all right with bringing back Meritage to the point that I encourage it. They're not too um, obsolete with each other. And even if they are, it's a matter of asset consolidation. Do you consider something with Markkinen there is plenty of long-term value to be had there, even if not as a player. What he is, is a 7-footer and one of the best 7-footers shooters there's ever been. Now, whether he can defend the rebound that create at the NBA level are very valid questions. But what is a known fact already is that that guy is probably... Well, I say known fact, probably. You know what I mean. He's probably going to be a 40% decent body 3-point shooter at the NBA level with an unblockable shot. Now, if that doesn't fit in Chicago in the short or medium term, fine, but it'll fit somewhere. Mm -hmm. So get that guy in, get him getting the shots up, and use that market. Chicago, as we've talked about before, aren't good with asset consolidation. They never trade high. How many players have left in free agency with getting nothing back? Ben Gordon, uh, uh, Joachim Noah, Taj basically did... Uh, Luo Deng basically did because they got a pick that they used to pay Rondo. They routinely (laughs) just let players go or they trade them at the lowest deb, going back to Tyson Chandler and Ben Wallace back in the day. Eddie Curry as well, though, they got away with that one. Um, Now, they've pretty much done the same again with Butler. As we've talked about, that's not trading as high as they could do. So what they need then, because they're not particularly judicious with assets, is as many as they can get. Miritic represents one if he's brought back. Bring him back because if he walks again, again you've got nothing for someone good. Markkinen represents one because he may not be the star that you want in a rebuild, but he doesn't necessarily have to be. There will be value down the road. It's a bit of a frustration in a way because personally I viewed this as a top six in the rest draft. I think there is a big gap between Jonathan Isaac at six and anyone else down there. Dennis Smith, yeah, okay, fine, I get it, I see it. But I do think there is a tier there. There'll be one or two sleepers that come through because the draft is purely a guessing game. But that's the way I see it. Thus, seven wasn't the ideal pick. Nonetheless, I'm alright with Marketing. I'm alright with bringing back Miritic. Very, very unalright with uh, selling the second round pick. Because even if you don't want Jordan Bell, or even if you don't want anyone else out there, look at what everyone else is getting for their second round picks. They're getting future second round picks. Teams are always trading into the second rounds. You can use second-round picks to get yourself a decent veteran. Okay, not Chicago's priority right now, but it at least was an option. A future second-round pick, kick the can down the road, combine them moving to a late first. But they don't value these things. They've never valued these things. Look how many second-rounders they gave up for McDermott. They gave up two more to move, Cal- move Calderon, who they never wanted, to move Anthony Randolph, who they never wanted, threw one into the OKC trade. They don't want them. They want money more. Ouch.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is a good point about marketing being an asset, because what you figure, you know, Ryan Anderson seems like the comp a lot of people are using for him, and, like, Ryan Anderson isn't an all-star, but he signed a four-year, $80 million deal, and, you know, he's had a productive 10-year NBA career he's going to once this contract is over. So it's not like a Jaleel Okafor situation where you know a highly ranked prospect is going to become obsolete in two years because the nba is changing like at least marketing's one signature skill which is long-range shooting is only becoming more popular whereas a guy like okafor you know his iso post-up bully ball uh can't overwhelm his defensive concerns so that that is a fair point about marketing um I, I, I'm glad, Mark K., you brought up Dallas as a big winner because of Dennis Smith Jr. I, I completely agree on that, um, You know, especially if they bring back Nerlens Noel. It's just a perfect pick-and-roll combination. You got Dirk to pick and pop. So, Mort, I want you... Who else did you like as a winner of this year's draft? Oh, Utah.
2: Mm. Because they got Donovan Mitchell. Oh, yeah, boys. your boy.
1: Yeah, I. that's
2: my boy. I have him on my big board remember, not my personal mock draft, but on my big board, I had uh, Mitchell as as number three, which is insanely high, and I know a lot of people will call that illogical. I'll take it. It's fair. But, you know, a supremely gifted athlete, strong defensive minded player, has some lapses, but he's still young, developing offensively. Um, He increased his three-point volume tremendously, uh, and still his his, uh, accuracy increased by uh, 10 percentage points, so you know there's a lot of there's a lot to like there and when you get him for Trey Lyles a number 4 number 24 that's a that's a good deal i mean that's fair value and you just you bolster your backcourt you also get like a guarantee for if George Hill walks he can step into that sort of role because hill isn't that traditional point guard where he handles the ball like 80 85% of the time he spots up a lot and he moves without the ball you can do the same with Donovan Mitchell uh And also, he's a strong defender, so there wouldn't be any problems there. Maybe initially, but not down the line. So I'm absolutely in love with what Utah did.
1: Yeah, we should. So they traded 24 and Lyles for 13. Lyles, you know, impressed as a rookie, had an underwhelming sophomore year. Um, 24, (laughs) it could have come back to bite them because OG slipped to 23, but the Raptors stopped his slide. So after 23, you know, there was. No one jumps out as like a can't miss prospect there. Uh, so yeah, I liked I liked that trade a lot. Um, I I feel like weird saying this, but I think the Sacramento Kings had one of the best drafts of anyone yesterday. I think Darren Fox at five, you know, is going to be a nice compliment to Buddy Hield on both ends. Heald can shoot, Darren Fox can't. So that you know that people are not super concerned about Fox and say he can improve, but that at least covers up that deficiency. Keele is not a great defender. Fox reminds me a lot of a Patrick Beverly type, just an absolute bulldog freak athlete. So, and apparently, I mean, this goes to say about all of the Kings picks apparently, uh, but they're all seemingly high culture guys, like very competitive. They're not going to sulk if they lose 50 games in theory. Um, So then they also had 10. They traded that down to 15 and 20. I got nervous about trading 10 because Malik Monk was on the board, but I guess if you have healed, you're not trying to undermine him. And, you know, that was Sacramento's thing for a couple of years there. Just take the best shooting guard available in the late lottery and see how it plays out. Uh, But they, they moved down. 15, they got Justin Jackson, who broke out at UNC this past year. 20, they got Harry Giles, one of, I think he was like the number two recruit this past year until... His knee injuries, uh, you know, he he was very limited at Duke, only averaged about four points a game. Reminds me a lot of the Skull Labissiere pick from last year, where, you know, super high recruit, didn't play well in college, might take him a little while, kind of a high-risk pick. But at 20, who cares? It's your third first-round pick. If you miss at 20, it's like, it's not going to set your franchise back a decade. Uh, And then Frank Mason at 34. I just, you know, they don't have a single point guard under contract right now, so... He's at least an interesting flyer to take uh, as a backup, as a third string guy. Uh, Mark Kay, who else did you like from this year's draft class?
4: Yeah, I mean, just just to back up on what you said there on, on the Kings, I was actually, I was really happy to see them take Giles because I thought one of the moves that Portland should have made was was using one of their three first round picks that they had on Harry Giles. But um, they sold those to the Kings and, and for the Portland if you think about Portland, they're pretty much capped out. I would have used one of those picks to ship off a, a contract, uh, preferably Evan Turner. Um, but I, I thought Harry Giles would have been really good for them. You know, getting a cost-controlled asset for four years on a guy that has plenty of upside for a team that's capped out. I thought that would have been good. But the Kings made that deal, and I thought that was a really good, uh, a really good draft day trade for them. So you mentioned the Kings. I really liked. What Dallas did, obviously, I mentioned that before, Charlotte getting Monk at 11 was pretty good value. I thought Monk was for sure going uh, top 10. I thought he might go either 7 or 8, but uh, he fell to 11, so I think Monk going to Charlotte was was really good value. Um, The fact that the Warriors bought Jordan (laughs) Balfe, they they could have been just sitting there, I mean, quite content with themselves winning a championship and, and winning it so convincingly, but... It's not what the Warriors do. They just continuously are on the front foot, and they go out there and get a guy who will have insanely good value at thirty eight, and, and they go out there and pay three and a half million dollars for him. So, this, who knows if Bell actually becomes a player or not? But just the fact that they had the the will, I guess, to go out there and do so was. Really impressive to me, particularly when the Bulls were selling those picks. I, I was kind of in awe of what they did. But the other one for me was Toronto. So getting OG at twenty three, I think that's that's pretty much a steal for money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, all of those I agree with. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I also can't believe we've got forty minutes of this podcast and I haven't brought up the Sixers a single time. But the Sixers got Marco Fault, so they're winners. Uh, even though yeah, yeah, of course. Brian Colangelo, I will say. His, he kind of adopted the Bulls' approach, where they, you know, they had four second-round picks, and he sold two of them. One of whom, Juwan Evans, I really liked, and I was <laughs> really excited when I saw that name come up on Twitter. And then I saw they traded to the Clippers, and I got a little bummed. But Jonah Bolden's an interesting guy, uh, thirty-six. I like Lasort at fifty. Like I remember him being mentioned as a possible fringe first-rounder mm-hmm. for a while. So that one's interesting. I like him too. Yeah, and then you know the trade they made at twenty-five. They got, um, I can't, I'm not even going to bother saying his name because I'm just going to murder the pronunciation. Uh, but a seven foot two guy who they're going to draft and stash. I mean, they gave up an OKC tw- top 20 protected 2020 pick. So, you know, I, <laughs> I saw they traded a future first for him and I got very nervous and then I saw it was that one. I was like, okay, I don't care. That's fine. It's probably going to be two seconds. Um, so, yeah, Philly, another big winner for me. Mark Deeks, uh, bring some negativity here. Who, aside from Chicago, wow. did, did you not like in this, uh, in terms of team's performance in the draft last night?
3: Yeah, let's get the grumpy Englishman to bring the negative. Awesome. I'm <laughs> actually glad you asked that because I was going to say some positives, but uh, Mark K pretty much said the same ones I was going to say. I do want to add before I get into my negative world of pain that Sacramento... For all the problems they have as a team, they were actually pretty good on the last Thursday in June. Two years ago, they got Willie Cawley-Stein, who Mm -hmm. personally I'm extremely biased towards, but has to be the greatest 8.4 rebound player that's ever taken the court. (laughs) Um, Last year, they moved down five spots from 8 to 13, and in doing so, picked up an extra first-round pick. Uh, The rights to Bogdan Bogdanovic, who's an NBA-caliber rotation player. It's essentially Mm. like picking up another first-round pick and a second all for moving down five spots. They moved down five spots again this year and got two players at 15 and 20 that I would argue are going to be better than the one that Portland picked at 10. They're pretty mm-hmm. good at drafting these days and Fox. So yeah, they have a roster absolutely stacked with their rookie scale contracts now. It's, if anything, it's already full, but that's a pretty great start. They just need one or two of them to come through with stars and they're there. Uh, as for the, you asked me before about the selling of second round picks. Philadelphia's selective aggression in getting faults, and also the Latvian, I can't pronounce it either, um, <laughs> but he's actually, he's a good draft and stash, by the way, he's got plenty of offensive talent, he just needs to toughen up and actually board. Um, that is a pretty good use of their uh, of their assets, for selective aggression certainly in getting faults and getting that core. They have to sell the seconds, I think, being fair to them, on account of running out of space, mm-hmm. because of what Hinky did, they've got so many picks, both now and in the future, that Space is already at premium. The roster's getting full up. Corkman still needs to come over. I guess they could have tried to consolidate them for future picks down the road, but you know space runs out. The flip side of the Utah deal that Morton uh, loves so much is that Denver ended up getting uh, Tyler Lydon at 24 and Trey Lyles in exchange for uh, for Mitchell. Now, I don't like that for them. I like most things that Denver do in the draft. They're very good at it. The Jokic pick is going to be one of the greatest in a generation. It already is. Uh, Jamal Murray last year looks like the point guard of the future. They have uh, a knack for finding quality at value. But because of that, what are they going to do with Leiden? What are they going to do with Lyles? Are either of those players going to be better than Hernan Gomez? is going to be. Herndon Gomez is already an excellent stretch for He shot 40% from three as a rookie and has great energy, athleticism and defence. Lyles and Leiden, they're now competing with him for space. Was this was this a deal that was done purely because they're assuming that Gallinari is going to walk? Possibly. And that's a shame because that's not the outcome you want to see from a lottery pick. So I don't really like it for them but uh, I will defend Sacramento to the hilt on <laughs> draft notes
1: yeah I, I, it, it's weird like everyone was saying the kings had a good draft it was like the twilight zone i mean i guess you know, donald trump is president so it's been the twilight zone for seven months now but
3: well they, they seem to be pretty good at it and yeah. i can't ignore the fact that in making that trade down last year they did go from Marquise chris to papajanis now <laughs> papajanis needs a lot of time he might be good but chris was one of the standouts of last year's particularly forgettable draft And the end of the year he down the stretch of the season, sorry, he proved himself to be a very good new age four. So, yeah, it's not for nothing they traded down for five picks, but they've got great value doing it. And they've done so again. I know you wanted negativity. Sorry, <laughs> let's let's give the Kings their two. <laughs> they've made a lot of mistakes on the trade market and they've got no free agency, Leo. But they have acquired a lot of uh, draft picks and they're doing all right with them.
1: Yeah, I I I, know. I think we're always so negative about the Kings. It's kind of nice to be positive about them at least for one weekend in June. And then you know, once they overpay someone in free agency, we'll be right back to where we are usually. Um, You know, another big loser, not really for what they did. Uh, You know, I like Frank Ntilikina at the Knicks, but I think the Knicks are just such a dysfunctional organization right now. You know, the Kings, based on how they're drafting, they're keeping things a little more quiet it seems in the last year like I think the Knicks are now the worst run franchise in the NBA by far possibly in like all of professional sports I just can't understand how Phil Jackson still has his job the way he has undermined Carmelo Anthony and now he's alienated Christoph Porzingis which is insane it's like the one the best thing he's done by far and now he you know he's leaking trade rumors and for whatever reason, you know, leaking that he's doing it because Kristaps skipped the exit meeting, so for that reason I'm just worried about Frank Natalikina's future, because I have no faith in the Knicks developing talent, you know, they have Kristaps they have uh, Willie Hernan Gomez, who played really well last year they have some intriguing young guys, but I just fear for Frank's future because, God forbid the Knicks trade Kristaps he's going to be the best prospect on that team, uh, so Prayers up to Frank Ntilikina's NBA career. More were there any other uh, losers from the draft, or do you want to move on to the D'Angelo Russell trade?
2: Well, now that you mention it, no, no I was. Uh, let's move on to D'Angelo Russell because honestly, I think we should break out the Lakers into what they did on draft night and then the trade because mm-hmm. I love what they did at tra- at the actual draft, mm-hmm. like Thomas uh, or um, Thomas Bryant. There we mm-hmm. go. You just yeah I, I love that pick yeah and jo- josh hart too. trade and josh hart yep as shooting guard coming in uh they kind of need that having you know rid themselves of D'Angelo. i was not a big fan of the trade though mm-hmm. uh I, I think that they sold low in terms of value but then again i mean if a whole league is is bent on D'Angelo not being that guy and not having that value at all then you know who knows but personally i i just i i'm a Post of trading low I want to see where it can go and considering that he's what 21, 22 I'm, I'm just not ready to rule it out
1: I would at least have given him another six months to see if he could raise it up a little bit yeah, but yeah. it is what it yeah, is yeah for some context I mean I should we we should mention we recorded an episode Tuesday and then naturally an hour after we stopped recording this D'Angelo trade happened so it is D'Angelo Russell and Timofey Mozgov to the Brooklyn Nets for Brooke Lopez and the number 27 pick which they used to select Kyle Kuzma, I believe, or Kuzma, however you say his name. Um, Basically, it's a salary dump for the Lakers. They wanted to get out of Mozgov's contract. Brook Lopez is on expiring. Brook Lopez is a really good player. He's going to help them win games next year. And then, you know, the, the grand plan, it seems, is to get both Paul George and another Max free agent next summer. There's been a lot of whispers about LeBron James wanting to go to L.A., if not him, uh, Russell Westbrook could be eligible. You know, if he doesn't sign an extension, he could become a free agent in 2018. DeMarcus Cousins could become a free agent in 2018. So it sounds like that's kind of where the Lakers... We're back to Lakers' exceptionalism. We're back to, where the Lakers, we could sign whoever we want and everyone's going to come to us. Um, so that, that just explains the, kind of the Lakers' perspective. And there's, you know, there's been a lot of... I don't want to say chatter necessarily, but like Kevin Ding of Bleacher Report for months now has been kind of alluding to the Lakers not being as high on D'Angelo Russell as one would think. Uh, It seems like they're just concerned with his. You know, I don't know what it means. They say leadership. Like, I don't know what about him, his personality or whatever, is rubbing them the wrong way, but clearly something did um and they you know they decided they wanted to build around Lonzo Ball they didn't want to try the ball Russell pairing so Mark K I know you and Mort were going back and forth on Twitter about this trade you seem to be more understanding of it than Mort was so why did you just tell me like what, what did you like it for the Lakers or at least do you understand why they did it
4: yeah, I wouldn't say I liked it. I wouldn't say I liked the deal. I understand it to a degree, and I, I think the way we judge the deal sort of almost needs to be reserved until we see what they do going forward. I mean, if they if they don't get anyone in, in free agency, if Paul, George, if, if Paul George is the only guy they get and LeBron doesn't come, Russell Westbrook has all these names, and they've just unloaded uh, Timo Moskov's deal uh, and, and putting. in russell on that package just to do so then i think at that point we can say it's a, a pretty horrendous deal but at the moment i'm willing to give them time but i guess it all it almost comes back to what what you individually feel about russell i, I was never big on russell i guess coming into the draft and then and then once he came into the league personally i just didn't see anything that i would like to see from my point guard in terms of how the way he plays it's really hard to define the whole maturity aspect because he's like a nineteen, twenty-year-old sort of growing up in LA and on, on a team that's terrible that had no direction at all in, in Kobe's last season. And then last season, um, <laughs> he was effectively the leader of the team and, and it was running the offense. and It's it's a lot to ask for a, a point guard in LA. To, to do I guess but um, personally I just wasn't I was never high on Russell so for me I don't see it necessarily as huge in terms of giving giving up on him mm-hmm. um, but it all comes back to what you feel about feel about D'Angelo that said I think he's pretty much gone to the perfect place for him in terms of going to uh, to Brooklyn and to be coached by Kenny Atkinson um, everyone talks about his developmental skills and, and that's exactly what D'Angelo needs and, and maybe this fresh start is the kicking the pants that he needs to sort of get his career back on tracks because I think he had some pretty good numbers last year, but I'm not too sure if the, if the intangibles are there, and that's purely subjective for me watching him, but um, who knows what it, what it will be. But obviously the Lakers didn't necessarily feel that they could run Ball and Russell in the backcourt together, and and I, and I totally get that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the defensive concerns were very legitimate with that with – you know not including any off-court leadership etc you know there was the whole snapchat thing with uh nick young his first year and it's actually hilarious that nick young outlasted d'angelo russell by a day in terms of their laker careers money would not have been on that last summer um but mark as you said i think the nets are the perfect place for him i mean hopefully it does give him that kind of extra motivation to realize like look you know, I was the number two pick, but it doesn't matter. Like, I could easily flush out of the league. You know, Anthony Bennett was the number one pick, and he's already out of the league. Julio Okafor was the number three pick. He's not going to play very much next year. Like, if I don't, you know, shape up or whatever, uh, my NBA career could be a lot shorter than expected. And next to Jeremy Lin, I think, Mark, you alluded to, like, how you don't see him as this, you know, traditional pure point guard. And I agree. It seems like, you know, the Lakers were experimenting with him. Coming off the ball, especially toward the end of the last year, they were having Jordan Clarkson as their nominal point guard. So I think playing alongside Jeremy Lin in Brooklyn, at least for a year, is going to be pretty interesting. You know, I think... Uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead.
4: I think a lot... Yeah, sorry. I think a lot of it has to do with Magic as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So Magic obviously being, you know, the the previous point guard or one of the, the greatest Lakers, I guess, and seeing himself, trying to identify himself in in the point guards that the Lakers will be bringing through. I think he can see that in Lonzo Ball, mm. but he probably couldn't see that in D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell at all. So when I'm thinking about this deal, to me, just personally, it's completely speculative, but it's I don't think Magic saw himself in, or saw a point guard that he could relate to uh, in, in D'Angelo Russell, where he could see that in Lonzo Ball. And There is a quote going around on Twitter at the moment about, D'Angelo from Magic and he's essentially saying that uh, D'Angelo wasn't a leader and that he wanted someone that can make or someone that was would be a leader and can make others around him better mm-hmm. and a player that other players wanted to play with. So, I mean, the stuff that we won't know because we weren't obviously in the locker rooms, but it just for whatever reason, Magic has made the call that D'Angelo isn't necessarily a point guard of their future and he isn't necessarily a leader that he wants leading their young crew
1: yeah uh, as mentioned ding and both actually bleach reports eric pincus had a column that i had stumbled across the other day from march where it was like he had quotes from magic and it really called uh russell's leadership into question so it's, yeah let's just store it in the back of our minds as he enters this new time in brooklyn uh deeks i want to ask you about brook lopez with the lakers because you know again he's Expiring contract, so he will be off the books for unrestricted free agent in 2018. Uh, do you think he could be a long-term part of this Lakers core, or do you just view him as a one-year rental?
3: I think he should be a part of the Lakers core because he's good. Now, I appreciate, of course, the what you term Lakers exceptionalism, the plan for 2018. They should have a plan for greatness. They should not expect but try to get this elite quality and it's available via the free agency market they're right to target that however that doesn't mean to dispense with Lopez Lopez is really good All right. especially now that he's a high volume three point shooter he's the rare rim protecting post up playing three point shooter trifecta who else does that he's entering his prime his prime is really good he's eligible for an extension negotiate one see what you can do appreciate still you want to have uh, catch space opened up but those deals are very doable. OK, so in this instance, it meant giving up on Russell, who was once a prized part of the future. But hypothetically, gentlemen, sorry to talk about Chicago all day, but <laughs> pretend that Rondo, we're this time next summer and Rondo's deal was exactly the same as it is now. Would you not take a future first round pick if you could sue back in Luol Deng for Rondo right now? Yes, you would. Of course you would. The Lakers can do that. Zubac's a good prospect and the first-round pick of some value. But they can move Deng's dead salary. They've moved Mozgov's. No one's going to need paying prior to that. So in the summer of 2018, they'll have a load of cheap youngsters. Brook Lopez. That's a team you want to join. So yeah, do keep Lopez. Keep him for at market value if possible. Get something for that. I totally agree with Mark Kay's comments on D'Angelo Russell. They wanted prime manager Ginobili. They more sort of got Toronto-era Mike James for the moment, but never mind. He's young and, yeah, he probably is immature. That'll come with time. Not to worry. I agree that was a perfectly expendable part of the future because he wasn't the future that they're striving for. They're striving for greatness. Fine. I like it for both teams. I think being able to uh, shift one part of the two terrible uh, contracts that they signed last year in Moscow and Deng as val- valuable. They did still get something for him in that they did get a first round pick that they've used on Kuzma, who could be another Larry Nance. They also have um, Lopez and yes he's an expiring contract but that shouldn't be where his value lies. His value should be in being a very high quality NBA centre who is still has still many years of his career left ahead of him which will still be a high quality NBA centre. So I want to reject the use of uh, the descriptor of him being as an expiring contract. He is more than that. For Brooklyn, given their lack of assets in the post-Billy King era, it's a good deal for them because whilst Lopez was their most valuable asset... He was about to stop being one unless they could extend his contract. So they've got something for him before he went. They're going to have to swallow the cost of Mozgov, but they can do that because there's nothing else they can do with the money anyway. So selective aggression in free agency, signing players such as General Lynn and Trevor Booker, who they may be able to turn around for future picks because they're signed at market value. That sort of thing, combined with picking up on reclamation projects like this, is the way they're going to build a foundation without the control of their own draft picks. So I like it for them as well. I like it for both teams. You can't really often say that about a draft night deal, and Lord knows we didn't say it about Jimmy Butler. So, <laughs> yeah, I know you want me to be negative, Brian, but I can't do it, buddy. Sorry.
1: No, that's fair. I, I'm kind of the same <laughs> way. Uh, I mean, I love it for the Nets. As you said, Like this is the way they need to build because they have no picks until 2019. You know, D'Angelo Russell... You know, whatever you think of him, still number two pick two years ago, has you know has still has enormous offensive potential. Defensive concerns, of course, but you know the, the Nets just can't. They don't have avenues to get young talent like D'Angelo Russell. Like he immediately has become their most valuable asset. And like this Brook Lopez deal came out of nowhere. I mean, no one was really. It's too early in the the schedule, I guess, because you're focusing so much on 2017 free agents that you're not really thinking. Uh, at least in the forefront about expiring contracts in 2018. But as you said, Mark, he's gonna lose value by the day because you know he he wasn't gonna resign in Brooklyn in all likelihood. Like, why would he? Well, he
3: he might have done. Sorry, I didn't. Let me just cut you off. He might have done on account of the fact that he never expressed any qualms about being there, even mm. as things fell apart around him. He was a. Uh... Uh, loyal, loyal member of the team. Never, never acted up. Had value to them as a player going forward. Certainly, there was mutual respect and trust there. He might have done. Nonetheless, it was a means of getting the uh, the young core talent that they generally otherwise lack. Right. So for them, it's cost them Lopez, who could have been that beautiful one club man who spent his entire career there. But it was worth it for getting Russell. If they can now flank him by. Trying to do what they did last year with Alan Crabb and Tyler Johnson. Allen sorry, and Tyler mm-hmm. Johnson to sign uh, quality use to overly big deals and hoping the teams don't keep them. If they can try that strategy again with players like Jermichael Green and Otto Porter, they got a core. They didn't want to trade Lopez, I'm sure other than the fact that it was their best means of getting to what they wanted slightly more than that. So I think he would have resigned. And I'm a little bit miffed because I've got to throw away a lot of words I wrote about the value of extending him in the future because I was <laughs> didn't see a trade like this coming. But nonetheless, it was for the best.
1: Yeah, well, you could just turn it into a Lakers column and that's column now. Uh, and then, uh,
3: I cu- yeah, I could do. Was it not exclusively about Brooklyn situation going oh, no. forward? Never mind the love for Lopez remains.
1: Oh, that's good. Cool. Well, it is a good point. He might have resigned there, especially because they can offer him more money. But even if he did, his timeline is different than where they are. Like all of their best players are going to be in their early 20s. So like by the time that they are dug out of this hole that Billy King dug for them, he was not going to be in his prime anymore, so it's a—it was just a good use of assets for Brooklyn. I continue to be impressed by Sean Marks. Uh...
3: But even, but even when you're going young, like I think we get a bit binary about this sometimes as commentators. Even when you're going young, you still need quality veterans because mm. we've just talked, for example, about uh, Russell's perceived immaturity and lack of leadership. Mm-hmm. Well maybe that wouldn't be the case if they were still quality veterans. And I'm talking quality veterans. I'm not talking people that sit on the bench and occasionally come into the game and sit there and say good things to them on the sidelines. I'm talking players who will help them develop on the court by being good around them. If you want D'Angelo Russell to improve as a playmaker in the pick-and-roll, then give him a big You can actually roll for him. Give him someone to throw lobs to. Give him, uh, take your, for your sixes, for example, Brian. They have lacked that, not so mm-hmm. much last year, but in years prior, yep. where the youth movement was so emphatic that they were all learning together, and no one really knew what the right answers were, at which point it all comes down to coaching. You can have the best coaches in the world, and I'm a big fan of Brett Brown, but you need that on the t- that quality on the team, which facilitates development. So even, uh, notwithstanding the fact that Lupe- Lopez is, I think, 29, possibly 30, whichever it is, is in that area, just because his prime years don't match up with the prime years of whatever core they come to establish, he still had value there. Mm-hmm. You haven't <clears throat> sorry, you haven't got to only have good 24 year olds. You can have quality veterans as well and Lopez was that, he still is that. And he was was and is eligible for an extension, so he need not have even tested the market if they threw the money at him. So yeah, he I feel he would have resigned and I feel he should resign with Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. Right. It's going to be I'm glad you say that, you know, they should at least keep him as a plan <laughs> B, you know, if Paul George and LeBron doesn't come together. Like, Paul George and Brooke Lopez with Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Jordan Clarkson, you know, Julius Randle will be a free agent next year. But Larry Nance, like, that's an interesting... And Zubac. don't forget yeah, Zubac. Don't, don't yeah. forget Zubak. Yeah. Like the boy's good. Yeah, so they have... They, they're building something. Like, I'm, I'm less upset... I was never upset that the Sixers traded the Lakers and Kings pick for Markel Fultz because it was just such good value and, you know, that Fultz was just such a better fit. But, like... Both the Lakers and the Kings, I would argue, got substantially better within the last week. And now, you know, those picks might not be as valuable as they were perceived to be a week ago. So, uh, kudos to Brian Colangelo for getting ahead of yourself there. Uh, I want to quickly turn to the Dwight Howard trade as well, uh, which was just hilarious for a number of reasons. Most notably because Dwight Howard decided to hold a Q&A on Twitter, like a... <laughs> Just, like, ask me anything about the draft or free agency or trades. He gets one question, and then he gets traded to the Charlotte Hornets, and then his Q&A stops immediately. Um, so he got traded. Atlanta traded him to Charlotte. So Atlanta gave up him and the 31 pick, or the 41 pick, maybe. I don't I No, they, I don't remember. It doesn't. That that's No, I think they gave up 31. It was, the, it was... Yeah, it was. went down ten picks. Oh, gosh. So they gave up Dwight and 31 to Charlotte for Miles Plumlee, Marco Bellinelli, and 41. Uh, I mean, you know, I think at this point we know what Dwight is. I think he'll be... It's not going to hurt Charlotte because Miles Plumlee wasn't good. uh, And they got to move up 10 spots in the second round. Uh, So I want to focus more on the Atlanta side of things. More... What do you think this trade means for Paul Millsap's future in Atlanta? Do you think, is this the signal of the start of a rebuild? And are they not going to offer him the huge contract that he's likely to receive otherwise?
2: So I don't remember if the whole Millsap is probably going to get better contracts elsewhere comment came before or after the Dwight trade. Mm -hmm. But it was made I mean, regardless, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I don't think it would have had an impact either way. It just seems like they are trying to rebuild, push the big red button, and then just starting over, essentially, because I, I can't imagine you keep him when you say something like that right. in public. <laughs> like, he's not going you know, he's, he's going to get a better offer elsewhere. Okay, that's just like, bye now. Yeah. So I, I don't think that had any effect whatsoever.
1: Do you agree with the decision- for Atlanta to finally like the Bulls, choose a direction and move toward a rebuild.
2: Yeah, I don't think they had like you know one foot in each camp like the Bulls you know did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think they generally tried winning and and tried staying competitive. Um, in terms of whether or not this is the right direction, who's to say they have some youngsters with some potential? I'm not overly in love with any of them, but it's it's decent, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, it, it depends on what they're going to do. Like, if they're going to blow the whole thing up, then I'm curious to see what they do. Like, they have to move Ken more as well later on. Um, yeah, that deal is horrendous oh. now. Yep. Yeah, it but, really is. But, I mean, what can you really do just with Paul Millsap? Paul Millsap is absolutely amazing. So, he's going to take you, like, a, a fair bit down the road, but then at some point, that's about it. And then he's better served elsewhere. Yeah. Like, he, I would love him in Boston, for example.
1: Yeah, and they're going to have the money because they didn't spend it on... <laughs> they didn't spend their capital. He's to, a nice
2: uh, fall... Yeah, he's a nice fallback if they don't get you know Gordon Hayward.
1: Mm-hmm. Or Blake Griffin. Yeah.
2: Or, or Blake Griffin. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's... I think that's really all we need to say about this trade because, frankly, it's not going to move the needle for either team a huge amount, at least until we see how the rest of free agency shakes out. So, instead... I want to wrap things up this week by talking about the salary cap, which came in uh 2 million less than expected. The NBA is currently projecting it to be 99 million instead of 101 million. So Deeks as our cap expert here, what does that mean for a free agency?
3: I'm glad you came to me because I can use this to segue to talk about the Dwight Howard deal for both teams. Because okay. it is it is relevant. Uh, okay. Because I don't like the situation for either team. Not I'm not talking about the trade necessarily, but the situation prior. Atlanta's in a little bit of purgatory where they've tried to uh, reload without rebuilding. But I've lost the quality players in their 60-win team without getting assets in return. And Millsap may be the continuation of that. Whereas Charlotte are capped out and not very good. So for them, the Dwight Howard trade is, has to work, gentlemen. It has to work. Dwight has to become something that he's not been. Because look at their salary picture. They don't drive the revenues of the other teams around them that have these similar heavy payrolls. And yet their payroll is stacked. Batumi is starting a massive deal. Um, Howard's on a big deal. Um, Zeller's starting a big deal. Marvin Williams is on too big of a deal. They are threatened by the tax. So it's not just the cap that's coming down. The tax is coming down. Charlotte is, a th- I think, 37-win team with not much incumbent of a core other than Zeller and Walker. They are capped out. They are now almost taxed out with Dwight. And they're not that good. The deal to bring in Plumlee, they traded Spencer Hawes and Roy mm-hmm. Hibbert to get Plumlee, who wasn't being used. I think he averaged about 2-2 two and two for $12 million per. It was very ambitious. Plumlee can be good and was good in Phoenix when he played, but he's a marginal starting talent. So they're loaded up on Saturday to get him. Now they're loading up even more in the hope that a player who has steadily declined in both ability and luster and value is going to be the answer to their myriad problems on the court. And ouch, That's a big gamble because what's the resolution if it doesn't work? What if they don't crack 40 next year? Are they going to the playoffs and they get knocked out straight away? Then what? Who's expiring readily? Only really Walker and he's the one you need. So I don't like their situation. And as for Atlanta, it wasn't so much a commitment to a rebuild because they didn't get any thing of value, they got Plumlee who's an expensive backup and Bellinelli who's going to be a mediocre, mediocre to decent veteran for one year and then walk um, for them it was addition by subtraction, it's not a commitment to a rebuild and it doesn't necessarily free up their salary picture any. it's just that Dwight didn't want to be there and he didn't really help them, which is not a glowing endorsement of Dwight but that's what he's become at this point it must be difficult well, it should be difficult for him to look at Houston now and see how Clint Capella is doing and think, yeah, that could have been me if I'd have been a bit more humble and stopped posting up once every two trips. (laughs) Anyway, with regards to free agency, the cap coming in slightly lower. It's enough to make a little bit of a difference. It does, of course, affect uh, the size of various max salaries. It's all relative, but yes, it does affect it a little bit. It brings the tax down as well, um, which will affect a couple of teams, including the LA Clippers, if they want to be able to re-sign their players. It's going to cost them Charlotte, as we've talked about Um, I think, and I'm not an economist, so I need to be careful of of trying to sound like I know more than I do here, but I think it's more indicative of the fact that for the big spikes we've had in the last couple of years, it looks like things will plateau and will level off. The cap may increase in the next four or five years, but it might not be very much. What we just saw then was a very random period, a very unique standout period of two-year cap spikes that has manifest itself into contracts like those for Solomon Hill and Ken Baysmore and Timothy Moskoff, but which won't continue. Now, there are a couple of teams who went out and spent on players not really fitting, perhaps in the belief that the cap will continue to rise astronomically, or at least consistently, in a way that it now looks like it won't. They're the ones that are going to feel the crunch. I mentioned a couple of deals there. Baysmore, yeah, ouch, that's a bad one um old deng's deal god bless him that's not a good deal these kind of things are, go- are going to become obstructive the new cba and the one prior to that uh, has made contracts shorter there's a lot more unguaranteed salary which for incumbent deals can still be used in trade in the way it was prior there's a new rule about how um unguaranteed and partially guaranteed salaries are only used in trade for the amounts of the guaranteed salary rather than the entire amount. But That's only for new contracts. There's a lot of old contracts who still have unguaranteed years. They'll still have trade value. Rondo, for example, that we talked about before. There's still mechanisms then for a lot of financial movement. And the, uh, with that in mind, the unguaranteed and the expiring contract is particularly the expiring contract, which used to be of immense value and tapered off a bit as the cap freed up and there was more free agency movement is now going to come back in Mm. because teams have loaded up on on their salary picture in anticipation of a growing cap that may not now grow they're going to want to shift that Morton talked earlier about Evan Turner on the Blazers. The Blazers have way too much salary for for a 41-win team. They got carried away last year, and I'm sure they'll tell you. The the Turner contract is a particularly poor one. Myers-Leonards, I had no idea what the plan was there. Aaron, Alan, I keep calling him Aaron. Al, Alan Crabb got, I think it was 73 million, 70-something 70 million, mm-hmm. and for an 11 PER and a few corner three-pointers. <laughs> now, they're... It's not that the, uh, the salary cap level affects them. It's the tax level. They're over it. They're now going to be more over it. The, tap, uh, the, cap, uh, the tax, excuse me, gentlemen, is, uh, is layered. So the high, the more you pay, the higher over it you are, the more you pay. That's going to get pricey for them. They can clearly afford quite a lot of, uh, of tax, hence they made the decisions that they did. But it completely destroys any flexibility to change and improve their team, which they're going to need because they're not close right now. So the knock-on effects is not so much, I think, the free agency because when we're talking the 2 million difference, we're talking about a 2% difference, not hugely significant. It's more the uh, stagnation that it reflects and the uh, impact it will have on the teams who didn't account for that properly in their overspends of the last two years.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what's really interesting to me, right? So the new CBA, incumbent teams can offer 8% raises a year, Uh, Other teams could offer 5% raises a year. When these contracts were all signed, you know, $24 million jump last year, $5 million jump this year, you know, not as much as expected, still big. But it does seem like it's going to level off to the point where the raises are going to increase higher than the cap is percentage-wise. Like, there's not going to be an 8% jump every year. So these contracts that were signed, you know, when everyone was just throwing around money like drunken sailors last year are only going to become exponentially worse and exponentially more restrictive over the coming two or three years. So, yeah, it's going to be... I'm really interested to see whether, you know... Of course, the the top-tier guys are going to get the maxes because that's what happens. Like, there are guys who don't necessarily deserve, deserve maxes, like a Chandler Parsons, say, who's going to get it just because that's how the market is. Um, but I'm interested to see whether these mid-tier guys, the guys we all mentioned, Mozgov, Dang, Evan Turner, uh, Bazemore, even Alan Crab, who I like and is young and is fun and is a good prospect, uh, if they get these massive four-year $70 million, four-year $75 million deals. Because if they do, you know, I would think the Mozgov contract, like, look what the, the Lakers had to ship up the number two overall pick just to attach him as the salary dump. So, you know, it it proves that, like, one mistake can really come back to bite you in the ass. Uh, so, that's, it's gonna be a fun summer, gentlemen. I'm very excited. Uh, Mark K., any final thoughts on free agency, the Bulls, etc., before we head out?
4: Look, to be honest with you, I haven't even thought that far ahead. I'm still reeling from yesterday, so, uh... I have honestly no idea what the Bulls are going to do from a free agent perspective. I guess they're going to hold on to Miritic, hopefully re-sign him and potentially trade him on. Later later on, like Mark said, that way they don't lose an asset for nothing once more like they've uh, continuously done. But uh, in terms of the larger free agency piece, um, the name I'm really intrigued to see is, is Chris Paul and, and what he does. Mm. Um, we saw Pau Gasol opt out of his deal. There was rumblings about a Danny Green potential trade. I'm wondering if there's some sort of, you know, some sort of willing and dealing that the Spurs and Paul have already started to begin, or if they're just laying the potential groundworks of, of some deals that may need may need to happen should Paul decide to go to the Spurs. But I, I want to really see that. So um, that's my main focus heading into free agency to see what Chris Paul does because I think that could shape, I could almost shape the, the rest of the Western Conference um, for next season and how and how that looks. So yeah that's my main takeaway heading forward but um yeah as i said still reeling from that uh jimmy butler trail
1: (laughs) reasonable uh yeah i mean the chris paul (laughs) thing is going to be interesting especially you know what marcus aldridge rumors started popping up on draft day uh so we will hopefully sarah will be back next time we could talk to her uh about kind of the state of the spurs heading into free agency until then gentlemen i want to thank you both for joining us today uh Mark Deeks, remind our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and all of your work.
3: Alan Crabbe is not a good prospect. Mark Deeks MBA <laughs> is my Twitter handle. Some love to scale the BCA, but by the way, I didn't pay that forward earlier when I was talking about the Kings. Got love for scale.
1: Okay, good stuff. And uh, Mark Cavenzoulis, where can they find you on Twitter?
4: Uh, they can get me at Mark K MBA. That's probably the easiest way there to, to uh, find me, definitely.
1: Perfect. All right, well, yeah, give these two a follow. They're both really smart guys. Uh, Mark Karadzoulis will give you all the bullshade you can want. Deeks will have some great cap insights and just general NBA analysis. Uh, otherwise, give us a follow on Twitter, at TheNBAPod. You can find all of our handles in our bio, so check us out there as well. Uh, also, download us on iTunes, subscribe. We'd love any feedback, reviews, et cetera. And we are being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter, at FanRag Sports, and for their NBA content, at FanRag NBA. Until next time, I'm Brian Teporek, and I was joined by Morton Jensen, Mark Karanzoulis, and Mark Deeks. Have a good one, guys. Enjoy the weekend. You too,
4: Brian. Thanks, Brian. Say yeah. it.
1: Welcome to Total Wine & More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world.
2: When people talk about Total Wine and more, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere.
4: And friendly, helpful experts at every turn.
1: You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world.
4: Shop in-store or online at TotalWine.com.
1: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk.